0: You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, this is Ariel Adams uh, for the Superlative Podcast, and today my guest is Anthony De Haas. He is the director of product development at Allonge Zona. All-Long Zona is a is a Glossute, uh, based watch brand in Germany. Uh, Tony, uh, or as as your friends call you, Anthony, welcome. Mm-hmm. Hi. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm good. So you know, I think we talked about this briefly a while ago, and part of this discussion is just trying to set the stage for for what Alanganzona is. Um, but the Alanganzona was the first ever watch manufacturer that I visited in my, in my time visiting brands and things like that. And this was back in, I want to say maybe early 2009. It must have been January of 2009 because I remember it was the winter. And mm-hmm. I was very concerned about going because as a, as a California native, <coughs> I had never been in a place that was that cold before. so i went to a sporting goods store uh i was living in san francisco at the time i probably went to rei or something like that and i told them i'm going high up into the mountains in germany in january and i need something warm and they must have thought i was i don't know i was hiking or climbing and i bought all these thermal undergarments and i brought all this stuff with me uh, to, to Germany, you know, flying through Dresden and then driving. And the entire time I was so warm and sweating. I thought, wow, what a fool I must have been. Everybody was laughing at me because I'm sweating with all my layers. <laughs> <laughs> we have heating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is, you know, I think it, it just goes to show that for many people, where you are is is a quite exotic place in the world. I mean, I know it's 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 quaint, it's a quiet town. Uh, I'm sure you don't live in Gloucester. Did you li- do you live in Dresden? Where do you live? I live. I live in Dresden,
1: and and the funny thing is, before we came to Dresden, that's already 17 years ago. I worked. I, I spent some time in Switzerland. At first, uh, first in Schaffhausen at IWC, and then in, in Le Locle, Renault Papi. And my wife always joined me. She's also from the Netherlands, from Holland, and she asked me several times, "Why are these watchmakers?" using such, let's call it special places to live and build watches. <laughs> 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 what did you okay. say? What did you say to her? Uh, I I I'm, I'm, I didn't have much to say because, <laughs> it's the fact, I can't change that. Uh, although Schaffhausen is quite uh, it's quite cool, uh, but La Locle is really high up in the mountains, you know, and and, and La Chaux de Fonds and, and where an We lived there seven years, so. It is okay, but you have, we have to get used to it. Especially the Dutch guys who come from the flat country and <laughs> under sea level, and living in the mountains, which we love, it's okay. Uh, today Dresden, okay, Dresden is a fantastic city. You know, not not too big and not too small. You have everything, and and Dresden is cool for a family. is great. And I drive my my way up and down to the factory every day, and uh, oh, that's perfect. It's good.
0: It's it's uh, the the drive is forty minutes, I think. It's it's a beautiful drive, actually. And I I have a theory about why the watch factories are in these towns. So, for example, there's a lot of Dutch people in the watch industry, but there's not that many like Dutch watch factories. I think that the Netherlands is just too exciting for watchmaking. I think that you have to have a really boring place so that watchmaking is literally the most exciting thing to do. If you don't have that, people will find pretty much anything else to do. It is, it
1: is, yeah, it's exactly the same for Geneva, for example. You know, the 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 workshops for the complicated watches, uh, for from 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 some Geneva companies brands used to be in the Valais du Joux. Yeah, and far away, be, up in the hills. Up in the far away, so no, not much distraction. I don't know, I don't know. You know, I'm um, maybe. And yeah, for the Dutch watch industry, yeah, there, there was no Dutch watch industry. There is now, uh, thanks to the the Greenfield brothers,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: uh, Bart and Tim, and uh, and I went to school with Bart. We had, we were in the same class in watchmaking school in Rotterdam. Right, poor teachers,
0: a <laughs> uh, <laughs> couple of but troublemakers but, over there, huh? Oh, we had our fun.
1: We had our fun. <laughs> we kept the stuff alive. Too excited, like you said. Yeah. All of- <laughs> no no but it was it was great it was great but but yeah switzerland i think yeah it's like that and it's exactly the same here in dresden The
0: Ore mountains in Glashutte. uh yeah that's where the watchmakers are now you need to have a lot of patience to be a watchmaker at Alang and Zona because you have this famous uh i don't think anyone else really does it where you build a watch and then you take it apart and you test it and then you build it again it's 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 you know watches there of course are decorated but there's also this idea of everything is built twice. Uh, talk a little bit about that and why a watchmaker would need a lot of patience to to do something like that. Uh, gen- generally, uh, watchmaking
1: is a job you need to be patient, um, especially if you you work with uh, like we do with the non-treated German silver, which is an alloy which has been used and still is used in the whole watch industry, actually. Uh, It it was used uh, for more complicated pocket watches in the past because the the alloy of this this material is is, is better suited for for making complicated or main plates and bridges for complicated pocket watches where you have to drill in many holes to have lots of pillars and, and fixation points way more than in the standard pocket watch. And today, it's still used for complicated watches. Although also by Swiss companies, actually, but they do a treating, they do a rhodium plating to cover, to protect the material. Because the alloy has a kind of yeah, it's sensitive to to oxidation. Uh, We call it more or less a a patina. (laughs) If you don't touch it, you know, if you don't touch it, you will, you will. It will very gently change color. It's actually a quite cool indicator for you that you have, you have to bring your watch into service again. If it's become more yellowish, then the watch needs to be serviced. It's around six, seven years.
0: So wait, wait. And so during the servicing process, there's a, a de-yellowification process, so it resets. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's
1: it's cleaned up. You
0: know, like when we do after sale service, we dis- disassemble
1: the whole movements. Right. It's not like a, it's a bit different than when you bring your car to a service. They don't disassemble the whole car. <laughs> they only change the oil filter and some oil and lubrication points. But watchmakers do it differently. These tiny little mechanical wonders. On the wrist, they are completely disassembled, cleaned each part, and then checked for wear and tear. And then, during that process, it's a, it's a kind of a washing machine for watches. Uh, the The German uh, German silver plates are are cleaned, and then they appear like new again. Oh, interesting! So, I didn't
0: I didn't know you could yeah. clean it off like that, like you detarnish yeah. silver. Maybe that's why they call it German silver because you can detarnish yeah.
1: it. Yes, and and. Except if you touch the plates with your fingers, now is no watch, and all the watchmakers, you know, they know not to touch any bridges, whether they are from rhodium plated or not. But if you touch it with your finger, it's hard to, to peel to get off. And and of course the watchmakers have some finger protections and these these, these rubber, uh, you know, finger condoms they call them.
0: Yeah, the finger cots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and. They have that, but we still have to be very careful. That's one of the reasons why we do a double assembly. And there's another reason. If you have movements, especially like we do, with a, equipped with a lot of gold shuttles, you know, where the rubies are fixed in. So small, tiny, 24 karat gold rings, and we press the, the rubies for the, for the bearing of the wheels. We press inside, and then after that, we, we fix that thing in the bridge of, of the movement. Um, that requires a lot of assembling, checking and disassembling and readjusting and assembling that happens if you have a gear train with four or five wheels, it happens over and over again. And you come to a certain point as a watchmaker, you you start lubricating and you start winding and and the the escapement is put in place and you run it and then you're still not happy. So you disassemble it again and and as soon as you've you've done the lubrication, uh, you get marks and spots of oil and crease everywhere. So, so, we clean that again because we desperately want to sell new watches <laughs> to clients and not uh, watches and movements with spots on. So, and the, the delicacy, for example, the three quarter plate, the gear train bridge has the, the, the ribbon, uh, the, the striping. But during the first assembly, there is no striping on that bridge because they take it on and off and they assemble, they put all in the, the pins and the rubies and the, and the bushings for the, the bouchon for the, for the screws and so. So it's non-treated, there's no decoration on. And then they assemble the movement and once it runs, they let it run for six, seven days just to, to get the gear train also nice, nicely, how you call that. Um, French. French, you call it the rodage, and they 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 get, you know, if you have a new gear train, there is still that's all too, too almost too new, so it needs to 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 wear a, a, a week or so to run to 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 yeah, how you call it? warm up? No, it's not warm up. It's it's to get.
0: So, oh, I okay. so you 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 wear it central. in? To wear it in? Yeah,
1: you wear it in, yeah. kind of wear it in it's not
0: it's sort of like a a part of the deburring process
1: (laughs) yes exactly exactly and then they disassemble and they clean everything and then the plate go to the to the guy who's doing the ribbing of the of the three quarter plate and the final finishing touch and then it's assembled again and yeah that's what we we do with all our watches and I think that is the main Difference. We do it with the simple watches and the complicated watches. Although in Switzerland, these brands who do the complicated watches, they also do a double assembly because a complicated movement you have, you assemble, you check, and you disassemble, and you adjust, and you assemble, and you do that more than well, hundred time.
0: Yeah, let's be honest. It's more than the double assembly. It's a lot, it's yeah, a lot so more times. <laughs> yeah, that was complicated movements,
1: and and so. uh and they, and they also do that, but only with complicated movement, not with all the simple movements. And we have to do that because of that German silver.
0: So let's talk a little bit more context, because, you know, you and I, we can talk about these little minor details. But without some context, I think it's hard for people to appreciate. First, where is this all happening? The zone manufacturer looks a lot more like maybe a science laboratory or a medical setting than a factory. Um, it's clean. There's these little rooms that have labels on them where very specific types of tasks happen. You, you have this sort of focus on an incredible level of sort of sanitation. Uh, there shouldn't be dust. And, you know, there's a, there's a serious attitude. There's no decoration. There's no rock and roll playing. It's, Mm. um, you know it's it's a very sort of sober type of environment to create a very serious watch and why a lot of people ask why you don't need this to make the watch work but and again i'd like your opinion uh, tony on this it's because the company's sort of culture is that the client deserves it why make it perfect because that's what the client deserves that's how you make it for you make it for people that are are not ex- necessarily expecting but for that money should be delivered a certain superlative level of aesthetics, um, and I and I think that's interesting. It's a it's a very important part of the the luxury side of this being a luxury timepiece.
1: I I think it's a, a high level of professionalism, and and um, passion, and try to to really create the best quality. Uh, and and it since it's all done by hand, we are, it is clean in the company, but it's not as clean and and like in a chip factory or something like that we don't need that but yeah, yeah. we have our measures against the dust and all the things and the, 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 we have house shoes on different levels and and, and, and all the cleaning precautions because you, you just it allows them it allows you then to to work in in the clean and proper way and you don't want to have uh, you know pieces of hair or dust in 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 your gear train or in your on your watch, but
0: but think about this idea of the after service. And again, it's it's almost a philosophical thing as a company. When a watch comes in for service, you could just fix it, but you don't just fix it. You fix and restore it. That restoration is not even an option; it's a requirement. That's that's a cultural part of what you're doing, right? Because it's it's technically not as efficient as it could be. And and I just mm-hmm. you know talk a little bit about that part of the company. You said it was you know these very passionate proud professionals but there's oh. a very sort of german way of doing it and there's also a very way of lange doing it which is even beyond the sort of german pride
1: yeah i think i think i think it's interesting you say that uh, after sales we leave in fact up to the client to the owner of the watch if he or she wants to have completely repolished and everything redone uh, so we the client can choose okay uh, your watch looks like new or you, because we have clients, you say, no, no, that that burr or that dent, that bent on on the middle part or on the bezel reminds me on something which uh, happened. So I (laughs) wanted. to, you really have that. Uh, I know, I know, you're not making it up. It's
0: it's very common actually.
1: Yeah, and and we have, okay, we we offer and, and the client can choose. So about that passion, I don't know. I I think it was there. And I think the people, we would not forget that after the the fall of the the, the German wall had fallen and Walter Lange came back to Glashütte to, to restart with the help of Gunther Blumlein, the company again. They were seen as very strange birds, you know, like whoa, luxury watches. Oh, we don't know. And people in Glacier are very humble and down to earth, but they were very happy because it's a place to work and 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 proud. And I think it's a lot of things that has to do with Bloomline and Walter uh, I, I met Bloomline several times in my time at IWC, and that man had an enormous charisma. Everybody was was really excited. I remember working at IWC and Bloomland make his tour, his round to the company every two weeks, I think, once every two weeks. And everybody was excited. And he just came in, he said, everybody, hello, good morning. And sometimes he stopped at your place and asked, what are you doing? And how are you? And everything, okay. That's a very, that's a huge human factor. And, and that's uh, lots of respect, of course, that the people saw the big boss. And 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 I think it's the same in in, it has been the same in Glashütte when I came in 2004. In fact, I came earlier. I was in 2001 because at around Poppy we had a project with uh, with Lange, and it was my first time in the visit. And I was we were flabbergasted like Julia Poppy and where there was a little team in Glashütte for the first time, and we were completely flabbergasted by the passion. Of that people of these people on how they work together it was really cool that you know i if you work i worked at the iwc and and are puppy these are not no funny small companies you know these are of course companies which produce great great watches but anyhow we were still flabbergasted <laughs> we, wow and 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 all you know all for one uh, there's a lot of not 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 much ego you know it's not important the fact that i am doing this chat now that's only the reason why i'm leading the team but i'm not doing it on my own we have a team and we have a fantastic team with great people and and i think that is a very strong thing in 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 atlanta
0: i want to talk a little bit more about walter um uh because he is someone i never I, I never got to meet him myself. I've heard about him a, a lot. He was one of the more important people in sort of the resurgence of the luxury watch industry, especially on the Richemont side, for sure. Uh, Walter Lange is someone who uh, I think, you know, he was working until he died. I remember meeting him and talking to him up until sort of the end. But but, but talk a little bit more about Walter, because I think he was one of those fundamental um, personalities in, in creating... the 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 ideas behind the modern watch industry and and his teachings inspired so many people Um, talk a little bit more about him for people that don't know who he is or what he did
1: yeah i I, I, he was he was i think five six times a year he came to Glashütte to the factory the of the first points where he entered the company was in my department and he wanted to know what we're working on and 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 I remember him. He was quite a tough cookie, actually. I <laughs> <laughs> bet he was very much involved, and 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 the, the the you probably heard it before the story about the jumping second. I remember my 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 first year, and he was no I mean, well, not first year. I think it was the first month. It was October two thousand four. And he came in and, he, and i got introduced to him and he asked me several questions and he, he was happy that i was a, i'm a watchmaker because he said it's very important that in the board of bank and there's a watchmaker because it's a watch company sure um mm-hmm. and then he started talking about yeah he he liked the long one as a design but he doesn't like the didn't like the movement because the balance wheel was not big enough Lange likes big, uh, big balance wheels and, and other stuff like that. So what did we do? We, we worked on making a very pure watch, which we launched a year later in 2006, 2005-6, the Richard Lange. And, and a year later, I showed in the prototype. And I said, Mr. Lange, look at this. This is uh, uh, the Richard Lange to honor uh, the eldest son of Ferdinand, Alf Lange, your great grandfather. Because he was a long period technical director and a lot of uh, patents on his name. So we like to honor him with this watch. And this has a nice big balance wheel. And then and he said, Yeah, but why didn't you? And he was angry. He said, Yeah, there's a big balance wheel, but why is it not a jumping second? <laughs> why, why didn't you use the, the first patent in Germany, actually, for watches, which was the patent of his great grandfather for a stoppable uh, jumping second? Now I knew that because we had some pocket watches which they were built and he said you should have done this but as, and then we had a discussion because he said to Mr Lange but we we are a company which makes ratapont chronographs, split time chronographs, double split we're working on site work we're making a datagraph perpetual was just uh, uh, about to come I said I, I do not want uh, I don't see that this is in the past I don't see a watch with a center second which jumps and a small second which is regularly running and just one pusher to stop the jumping second and not a zero reset or something like that. That that doesn't do it for me. Uh, I, I think people have higher expectations. And yeah, but you can make a series and to honor and blah, blah, blah. And I never wanted to make it, to be honest, because a jumping second for a jumping second, I don't. I don't know, it's a lot of... It's, you have a beautiful mechanical movement and you have to to make a very delicate mechanism to make it look like quartz movement. That's a bit stupid. And the stop-ball jumping second was a predecessor of the chronograph. So I never wanted to make that. And and he was really mad <laughs> for, for a long time. And he said, oh, look, they did it and they did it. Now you're too late, blah, blah, blah. And then I think years later, we had the Richard Marner jumping second. Which is a rigid longer with with that uh, with that uh, regulator dial and constant force device, which is recharged every second, which has as a result a jumping second, yep. not just a jumping second. What we what we put in a zero reset on the jumping second it was never been done, and that's the things we like to do. So I showed him that watch, and he said, "Yeah, okay, that's a jumping second, but it's not." the patent of my great-grandfather so he was always like tough and that in fact when when he once he died uh, one month later we sat together and he said okay uh, Wilhelm Schmidt said yeah what can we do uh, to to, 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 uh, to honor to memoir uh, memoir uh, making an, an exclusive series with an enamel dial or something like that and then I said, okay, there's one watch he always wanted us to make. And that was the jumping second, which is stoppable, according to the patent of his great-grandfather. And yeah, okay, we, we found it a great idea, and we worked, and we managed to build prototypes within a year. And a year later, we launched that watch. That's a huge... Uh, you you
0: probably know that the eighteen fifteen homage to Walter Lange. Watch. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun. I I agree with you. Not that practical, but a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, and, and and we said, okay, this is that was a once of a lifetime because I still don't see the use of that watch, but it is purely to, <laughs> to remember uh, to to honor Walter Lange. Uh and, and that I think that was finally he had the watch you always wanted. To still, honor him and and Ferdinand Adolf Lange because of the patent. So that's what we did. It, it has been a one-shot. We're not going to use that movement for other stuff again uh, because that is a one-of-a-kind thing.
0: Now, these gentlemen are now gone. Who do yeah. you have to impress now? You know, It was really probably actually easier in some way when you know who the authority was. Now you still have to make amazing watches. They still need to surprise and tantalize the consumers, but... There isn't like someone you can go to and be like, "Hey, sir, is it good enough?" So you know who do you go to for validation that says, "You know, Mister De Haas, you have done enough. This watch is done. You can you can consider it complete. Go to build it."
1: I, th- I think it's it has always been that that I always have the collectors in mind, not a specific person, uh, the collectors in mind, and always try to find. way to surprise but at the same time stick very much to who and what we are because it's very tempting to say ah i want a surprise let's put in a a silicium hairspring now yeah for example everybody would be as surprised uh but i still do not see the use for us to do put in a silicium hairspring i think there's more a thing for mass production because it's easy because you don't need to bend the final curve because it, it rolls down the machine and you put it in the movement and you don't need to regulate it. So that's yeah, it's interesting not it's cool not hand watchmaking do. in the in no, the high it's end not. Sense. And what what do we do at Long Hand Zone we celebrate or we do watchmaking. We are watchmakers. You know it starts the the the, the, the we call it the business plan or the philosophy of the company has been and still is and it's not going to change is we start <laughs> some people call it inside out. We, 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 the ideas for all, all our products come from development. It's not marketing or sales who do a market research and brief us what we have to develop. It's the other way around. One and a half year for SIHH, I do personally brief marketing about the watches which are about to come, and they create the stories what are the stories at Lange Zerne? Yeah, in fact, they tell what we do. <laughs> we we don't create um, uh, stories. Uh, we are not that brand, you know. We do not have uh, stories about beach houses. And coincidentally, there is a, a watch. Or we, we do not talk <laughs> about. You know what I mean? You, you, we do not talk about uh, about aeroplanes and pilots. And suddenly there is a watch. You know, we don't have that history. So. We talk about what we do.
0: OK, so let's 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 back up a second here, because I think you've made some really important points that have identified some of the philosophy. Now, the first thing is you need to always make a watch that if you didn't tell anyone, they sort of thought it would already be in the collection. I think that long, it can be a little bit more risque, but you sort of glossed over it. It's a really important point that so many months, if not years, can be spent deliberating, not not can we make it, but should we make it? It's very, very well, difficult to think what fits within the DNA. Now, I think one of the problems is that in this world of constant evolution and, and progress, this has made a lot of limitations on a lot of today's luxury watch brands where you need to innovate, but you're also restrained. And sometimes I feel a lot, unfortunately, that brands are kind of like working with handcuffs on. You know, they, like they could do more but it's very, very limited. Um, you know, wh- how do you draw the line on going far enough, but not too far?
1: Yeah, sometimes, you know, no, normal, I think the most of the time we just go far enough. And sometimes you pass that line with, for example, the sidewalk work. You know, you sometimes, and in, 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 in you'd come plan that for every year, it could be fun, but sometimes you have great ideas where you really, not sure of of that will work. And with sidewerk, for example, we had the dream to make the the Semper Opera Clock, which is above the stage in the yeah. Dresden Opera. Yeah. Make it on your wrist, and not the five minutes, but every minute, and you start dreaming. And it would be great if the disc would be left and right, and not like other old digital watches from above. To, you know. And and we worked on that project, and and things. To make, to make it happen, things became more and more complicated. We had to find solutions with remontoir systems, which is, uh, I think, even more complicated than, than the two and um, to make, just it, make it happen. And, and uh, to be honest, that I was, uh, we were working on to realize our dream because we wanted to do that. And, and, and as well, in terms of design, as in technically solutions, I was a bit like insecure to be worried because uh, the price went up. But from the watch, from the indication side, it's, it is just reading of time, hours, minutes, seconds and uh, power reserve indication. And we had a price around 60,000 euros. Yeah, and that is different for a client perspective. But sometimes you need to go that way as a company to to do do I call it groundbreaking or or taking risks. And we had really before the launch in two thousand nine, we were like, okay, you know, we liked the we liked the watch. We were we found it really cool, but we knew that well, wow, this is a bit of a, out of a comfort zone, and I think it will it will polarize a lot of collectors. Uh, it did. In both, yes in both ways
0: but it makes so much sense because on that first yeah. trip to visiting uh, along zona i i saw that clock i went to the semper opera house and it's it's i remember then thinking wow wouldn't it be cool if they made a wristwatch that that used this and i remember you know considering the technical challenges and making a you know an entirely mechanical you know digital digital indicator that that you know was nice and elegant and stuff like that and it made sense and you know that's that's part of what people expect. But you're right, there was pushback. But now, just a few years later, it's it's taken for granted. You know, it's funny how that initial skepticism, it wears off very, very quickly. And people's appetite to include new things as part of the family, um, it doesn't seem to take too long.
1: No. And it was, it was also the right thing, but we didn't know. You know, we, we were, I'm talking about before the launch. And it was not planned to become a product family, actually. We said, okay, this is one of a kind. And we really didn't have any ideas to put other stuff
0: on. And, and it only got more high end. That's the funny thing. It only went up and up and up and up.
1: Yeah, but yeah, because we can't make it cheaper because the, the movement needs to be, has that complexity to solve that problem of these big discs jumping. this energy. And, and that's an interesting thing. I don't think we're going to achieve a, a tight work, which is around 20 or 15,000 euros. It does, it does,
0: it, I don't know how to do it. To and be honest. the movement, I think what's amazing about it is that even if you know watches and you've seen hundreds and hundreds of watches. When you see a long movement, it looks distinctive. Nothing looks anything like that. And then within the long movements, you have the Zeitwerk movement, which looks even more distinctive. And again, we're talking about, you know, insider baseball here. But your average person who doesn't know anything looks at an along and zone and movement and they're blown away. They're just blown away. Uh, I think we, we spend a lot of time not only to the design of the, of the aesthetics
1: of a case and the dials and hands. And we go very, very much in detail. Uh for example, a Saxonia, which is a quite simple watch, uh, there is uh, the, we have the, the Saxonia outsize date and we have the outsized date with moon phase. The moon phase is 40 millimeters and the normal outsized date is 38.5. And I don't think there is another company who does change the size of the outsized date. So the, the proportions of the outsized date of the 40 millimeter case are what we call 104% And the 38.5 millimeters are 100%. It's the same as the longer one and the grand longer one. We do take care, and it costs a lot of money. And we have, we adapt the length of the hands and the length of the hour markers to to minimum changes of case dial. So we are very freaky and nerdy about that stuff. It is the same with the movement. The movement designers not only have the task to find technical solutions to make complex mechanism work, but also to do it in an aesthetical way, what we at least think that is aesthetical, which fits Lange, mm-hmm. and, and made in a way so it, 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 it could be for the fascination, because the, the, the people who buy our watches, they have one fascination, that's mechanical watches, mechanisms. And we try to, to, to show as much as we can to get that in a beautiful way. And that is a perfect mix in be, uh, between the old style shapes of levers and, and all the parts in a complicated watch and the mo- a certain modernity in, in, in the style. That's a perfect mix. I think that's why we spend a lot of time. We have sometimes huge discussions about the chronograph lever which has to have a certain shape. And, okay, but that's who we are. We do, yeah, we talk about what we do. We do what we do, and we do watches.
0: Now, let's talk a little bit about you as being, you know, a director of product development. There are, of course, our director of product developments at, at most watch companies, especially ones that are developing <laughs> products. But you have sort of an outsized sense of importance and power. Um, people... They they speak of you very reverentially. They're always saying, you know, we want we want Mr. De Haas to speak, you know, on behalf of the company, which by no means would be the, the case in, with a lot of others. What is it about maybe specifically your position or about you which has really taken advantage of this role and made made the most out of it? Whereas maybe it's actually not as 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 well utilized at other watch companies. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I think I think the, I think a, a huge difference is that. The company in which I'm working, the, the focus is product. The product is the hero, um, and it's not just stories. Um, and and that's automatically then that 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 I'm doing the press conferences and other stuff. I'm the spokesman because we go much in detail. And the people who like us and buy us, they like the detail, so they want to be very well informed. I think that is the thing. Yeah, that's inherent on my, on my function, that is that, that, that is that belongs. And I think the function of, of, of the job title in Langenzone being a, a director of product development,
0: yeah. Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the Blogged Watch Store, and we carry art, apparel, and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high quality original products at the blog to watch store. Right now, the blog to watch store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at the Blog2Watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic diver dial even have a glow in the dark face. The blog to watch store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the blog to watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. Check it out by logging on to store.ablogtowatch.com. That's store.ablogtowatch.com. Now are you are you in an advantage or a disadvantage by not being German? I mean Yes, you, you obviously know watchmaking culture and things like that. But you are, in some ways, an outsider. I'm as an American, I'm even more of an outsider. But do you do you do you have a different perspective? You think? Yeah, I think yeah. I think it helps that I'm Dutch, and uh, I think the
1: Dutch are way more direct than than German people. But we have very much linked. I think the the difference between a French and a German is are bigger than a Dutch guy and a German. But a lot of things in common but there's a, i think we are very communicative in holland
0: uh you you probably know that if you talk with bart and tim you know uh, oh I, look i mean as an you have to put yourself in my shoes when i was 25 years old i started a blog to watch very soon after i started traveling internationally to places i'd never been before with languages i didn't speak trying to do business and get to know people and socialize and learn about watches at the same time. I basically had like a, you know, a UN training where I had to learn, you know, Dutch people are a little bit like this and French people are a little <laughs> bit like this and Japanese yeah. people. I, I I basically had like a crash course in diplomacy, you know, every single mm-hmm. time I, I take a trip. And I have learned that there, there are these differences. But also what's kind of funny is that Internally within Europe, there's a lot of uh, things that you say amongst one another. Swiss people make fun of French people for this, and German yeah, people yeah. make fun of Swiss people and stuff like that. What what are some of the jokes? Like, what are some of the things that a German watchmaker might laugh about uh, that that a, the Swiss watchmaker might do that they might think is silly or absurd or ironic?
1: I don't. I don't know. I think the Germans make more jokes about Austrian guys than about the Swiss. Austrians,
0: okay. Yeah. I
1: never. Go. I never heard them. They make jokes about <laughs> Dutch, because they make joke about Dutch because the Dutch. Oh, there it's summertime, so they're driving on the left side of the of the motorway with their caravans, and they're uh, taking their own food with them, and 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 so you know. Okay. <laughs> um, they, they sometimes they see Dutch like the, the Dutch are more business oriented people. I think that's why we also very communicative. Uh, we speak our languages and everything. That's that's the I think it's the the Dutch DNA. But the fun thing is they see us at the second place. You know the 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 Scottish are the worst with the money. You know. Oh. And then the Dutch come. I think. For, okay. For <laughs> which is i don't know where that comes from but I love it how
0: every, doesn't matter what culture you are someone accuses you <laughs> of being cheap
1: yeah yeah but it doesn't matter it is fun <laughs> part, you know it's i think um and and unfortunately today in in today's world it's, it's not i think it's not enough happening but i think today many people see themselves as way too serious um I think we should all, as humanity, we should see ourselves less seriously.
0: Well, okay, so out of everyone in Europe, Dutch people, again, in my opinion, in my experience, tend to have some of the, the best senses of humor. Enjoy laughing. Enjoy yeah. being, seem to like having fun. You're kind uh, of like the Australians of Europe. Yeah, yeah, good, yeah I can imagine. Because we, I
1: think we are, what the Germans call that locker, we are not tensed. Germans... Can be very, very and that's coming back to the company. It helps, I think, that sometimes, you know, if Germans they, they tend to talk in problems, especially engineers. Right. They are masters in explaining me why something doesn't work. But that's, <laughs> but that's not the story I want to hear. I want to I want to hear stories why it's gonna work. So they know that. So why? But I think it's at least I try to be as a manager. I have 55 people. You know, you have all high sensitive, sensible people. You know, you have I have four product designers. I uh, you, you have 10 movement designers, and they are very emotional, very creative and tough. And so you need to. My role
0: is to to guide that a little bit, and you will have to with a little bit of humor. You know, if yeah, you're you like the handler. But again, at the end of the day, you really want your luxury watch being designed. And created by highly anal retentive people, like oh yeah, not, not maybe not amazing uh, to, to hang out and relax, but to make your luxury luxury watch that has to be you know perfect in so many ways, yes, as anal retentive as you can find.
1: Yeah, but I think also people have better, you know, the work has better results if people are not so tense sometimes sometimes you need tension but it it comes automatically because you know every year you have a lounging watch lounges and everything so the lounge the sih you're watching wonders and all the things so we create ourselves a lot of pressure by trying to do as best as we can but sometimes you need to eat out you need to laugh you're making me miss
0: the 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 beer bar at the lange booth Ah. you know it's been several years now i I mean, it, this is of course the conversation. In the industry Everyone knows, but um, yeah. I guess it'll be at Watches and Wonders, like it was in the past. But yeah. you would have you would have the what was the name of the the beer the um, the local dragon, yes, Lava mm-hmm. yes, this local beer yeah. that was delicious. And don't let's not forget the pretzels. But you'd go and they'd give you a proper pour in like a real glass, you know, cup. Of beer, just here, have, have a beer. And it felt so good to just sit and chill. Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, it, it didn't have anything to do with the watches. It was just a nice little cultural thing about that. Yeah. And you didn't have that any of the Swiss ones. There was no hangout space anywhere, nowhere.
1: No. And it is, I think it's also, we, yeah, but we are a collectors brand and we have a vast community, a vast. And what do collectors want to do the most? They want to gather together and chat about their passion. And yeah, watches the is game. their
0: hobby, their escape. Like for a watchmaker, yeah. it's their it's their profession. For a watch In- consumer, In- it's their escape. I think at Lange, not for everyone, maybe, but for most of the
1: people, it's also passion and the hobby, the work. Otherwise, we would never have had
0: such results or or products, watches. Interesting. And and so how do you do that with someone new? Because look, Glasshood is a watchmaking town. There are other, other brands. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. right next door to you, there are a few other brands. What? Yeah. But they make very different products. How do you indoctrinate someone with a proper Alangonzone <laughs> culture as they enter? Uh, we, we take a lot of time to, to, to
1: yeah, I call it integrate, uh, to make it a member of a family. We still see people who join the company as a member, as a family. And as long you have that philosophy or opinion... It's like, you know, you have a younger sister who's joining and, and you want to, you, you know, the success of the new people entering the company depends on how we take them on board and how we integrate, how we, and that only helps if you are open, if you're open-minded uh, to, 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 yeah, to open communication. And that's what we do. that We, we spend a lot of time. You know, Tino Boba and me, Tino is doing the manufacturing director and me, and we have a new member of the board or a head of departments. They all come with us. Everyone. If, if you have a new we have a new manager in in, in uh, uh, a head of department in marketing or uh, the department for for, I don't know, communication and things. Now the guy started. And the first thing he does do, there's a plan made by human resource. And he's visiting all kinds of different stations in the factory. And one of the stations is spending time, hours... uh, with, uh, with me and Tino, us explaining what is Lange, why Lange, why do we do, why do we think like that, where does it come from? And, and we st- we take a lot of times, hours. And standards, there's some three, four hours calculated for that. But most of the time, we take another appointment, again, with the new person. And we do that with most of the new people, not with the watchmakers. So
0: you're, um, you're watchmakers. really involved in a lot of things. Sounds like human yeah. resources and, you know, director of corporate culture. I mean, what are some of the other roles that you have there? Well, it, it's part, I think
1: it's part... Of, of doing it, I'm not responsible for your sure but it's of course a part <laughs> of being a manager. You know, yeah. being a manager is having a responsibility for the well and everything of the functioning and the working of your people. They have their own responsibility,
0: but in the end, uh, I'm responsible. Now, let's let's go back to the sort of notion of product development because you know there's always new new exciting products coming out all the time, and we were sort of joking about before this call that. You know by the time they come come out, it's old news for you because it takes several years to get these things out now, where does a new idea begin? Is it in a meeting? Is it a drawing? Do you actually have to make a prototype? I mean when these new ideas um you know are, are formed, no one really understands where the genesis is. Help us understand how a new idea at alongngan zona uh, gets sort of starting to roll into motion
1: that's uh there's a there are different ways how things happened What what I did when I came to the company, uh, I have six direct reports, so my heads of department, and I do once a week. I do a kind of a breakfast together, and you should see that as that is a meeting without an agenda. Okay, it takes around two hours, and we just chat. There are in the meeting room. There are watch magazines on the table. Or there's an iPad today. Then <laughs> this modern technology, and we just chat. And some sometimes someone takes some sandwiches or, or cake or something like that, and we drink a coffee and we chat. We just chat. Very often there is someone who has an issue, or just a subject. Or he said, "Ah, did you see what they and they did and what they presented or something like that?" And these discussions, most of the time, give some impulses. And you have weeks, maybe months, that you have no idea, really. And in the beginning, I got nervous. N- not anymore, because it, it also happened that in one, two days, you have seven, eight new ideas. At the end, maybe two survive, but it doesn't matter. And I think that is an important thing. We, before we were talking about, uh, we're talking about not not being too tensed. Um, Not always being, um, you know, that boat too tight and and too stressed because we have a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. Developing is solving a problem. When I drive in the office, I've calculated that one disaster a day. And the disaster, I mean, someone comes in and says, oh shit, that doesn't work. The new movement or the dials are not delivered, hands are too long or the wrong color or something like that. Now, if you go in the office with that mindset, it's already easier for you. But the other thing, it's also one of the fun parts to solve these problems, to solve these disasters. And by solving disasters, you also land on the, oh, wait a moment, that doesn't work for this caliber, but we could use it for that or that. And we always, and I tell my people, always try to be open-minded, and we never do something without a reason. We, I must tell you, we do not have many projects with which are born to death or not, not a mishaps or something like that. We do not not have many. A- actual, everything is a practical innovation in some way. Actual apps, exactly, and and a lot of things like site work. It was not planned become a product family. But I was wearing in 2009 after the Lange prototype, and in at the evening and in, in the early morning, it's hard to read the time. So that gave the idea. Yeah, would there be a solution to to make it illuminating like you have in a regular watch with light luminous hands? But that's a bit difficult because the discs are underneath the dial for the most of the time. So how to do that? That's the idea. You start looking for solutions. And then the, the idea for Lumen, Luminous, was was born to put a glass dial. And, and we have a university here in Dresden Technical University with some institutes like Fraunhofer. And they helped us doing the de- de- developing a, a, a coating on the glass which appears to be dark but allows the UV rays to 100% go through the dial to charge the the hidden, uh, numerals on the, people so, that.
0: and people love that one. That was, must've been one of yeah. the most popular ones. And it was, and yeah. it was like, it wasn't just open and skeletonized. Like you oh. knew you can't yeah. just have a transparent dial. It's gotta yeah. be smoked. So you yeah. don't have this distraction because so much of the skeletonized yeah. watch is so distracting.
1: Yeah. And we, we, we would even many, Many tryouts and things before we found. But when once we found, we said, "Oh, we could make another work. Okay, that was so luminous. And and then, um, you know, I, I used to work at Psycho in Holland as uh, after sales, the Japanese company. Mm-hmm. I, I did at the importer in the, in the, the agency in the Netherlands. I was I worked a couple of years for Psycho and I repaired that. But they had these LCD watches. These uh, the, these LCD. Watches, you should also have them from Casio and so on. And what do they do? They do every hour, they do a little beep. Right. It marks the hour. You can switch it off. And that was the birth of the sidework striking time. Coincidentally, we were working already on the Grand Complication and we just made our, our first in-house gongs for that watch. And we were really, wow, and, and, and enthusiastic because the, we managed to get sound out of steel with a little hammer. And that's the idea came then into Tidework Striking Time because that is true, side work. We think side work is interesting, but it, it requires very special functions. In the beginning, there were people on internet forums, they did Photoshop, they made a, a classical moon phase in the Tidework. And they say, oh, that would be my next favorite. and But that will never come like that because the classical moon phase doesn't fit for me in the, in the site work because it's a different kind of...
0: How, how do you get more power reserve in the site work? I completely understand why <laughs> it's a challenge to get enough, but wouldn't it be... I mean, what was the first one? It was like 36 hours or something? But yeah. like, I knew that... I, I had a feeling that the engineers... And you were able to get out a little bit more later, but what could you have done to get a little bit more power reserve if you could have just had unlimited budget?
1: Um, I can tell you, um, if you, you would have, and I had that question, is it not possible to enlarge the power reserve because it's 36 hours. And I would have said in the first years, no. And then we started to work on the date version. And then the guys, the movement designers, had an idea and they didn't know if it works. Okay, try And that's the double barrel we have in the Zeitwerk date. And that doubles the power, power reserve. It's 72 hours. That's amazing. That's amazing. And yeah. uh, and of course, yeah. you not only doubled the barrel, but also made very slightly the the balance Will slightly lighter, less heavy. Okay. Uh, the size is uh, is more or less the same, but it's we took some weight off. Uh, so the 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 remontoir spring could be thinner because it needed not to power such a heavy balance wheel with a slightly uh, less weight. And then you can play with that stuff. And since we know how to make our own springs, it's easy. So. Uh, that we worked on, and that we were like, "Wow, you know, seventy-two hours of power reserve in the tight work date. Wow, you know, that's cool." Were
0: there that's any cool. lessons that you could learn from the the Lange thirty-one? Because this is yeah. for people that wow. don't know, a thirty-one day power reserve, different well, situation, not as power intensive, but so much research into having this sort of any any element of isochronism <laughs> in the, such a big spring.
1: You know where the idea
0: come from from
1: the Longer 31, was exactly what I mentioned before during such a breakfast, which I had with my people, because there was some watch magazine, and one of the watch magazine had a topic about power reserve. So there were watches with uh, seven days, and eight days, and 14 days, and, and I made I, actually a joke. I said, ah, if you want to be serious, you do 31 days. Of course, that was very much to prov- uh, provocating my people <laughs> and they were like, ah, and, and somebody, yeah, but it is not possible. So okay, why is it not possible actually? And it was. And I don't know why. It was okay. listen, you, you Go go and think about it. And if you come back three weeks later and say, look, that's why it doesn't work, I agree. But as long as you can't explain why it doesn't work, maybe we should give it a try. It, it, it was more a fun thing. And then we made five prototypes and they all worked. It was far from being uh, ready to to manufacture in a, in, a, in a series, but the first five prototypes worked, and at that time it was a world record kind of thing. And then we had the decision yeah, what we're gonna do, two thousand and seven, what we're gonna do is it, are we gonna wait because we needed another two years to make it really good for for producing? And then you have two choices. You say, okay, we keep it secret for two years. with the risk? something leaks out or someone comes with another idea which is even longer or we just launch that product, we take the show, but we honestly tell you that we need another two years for, for the first delivery. And that's exactly what we did. It's a bit against our philosophy. <laughs> uh, we do not prefer to launch on Watches and Wonders and SIHS prototypes. I've done that before and I don't like that. Uh not good. Is a high risk, especially maybe for a German company. Uh, but that that is not uh, that is not the case at Lange that that we don't like. That was the exception. And there's another exception that was that famous watch for Walter Lange, because we did that in 10 months. Uh, we developed that month that that watch. Uh, for Walter Lange, a stoppable jumping second in 10 months. The movement designer skipped his holidays. He canceled his summer holidays to finalize the movement design. That's dedication. Don't worry, he got to double holidays the year after. <laughs> <off, and> don't <laughs> worry, he got that. But they all desperately wanted to do something for Walter Lange. Yeah. Uh, and that and that's another indication of how how most of the people at Lange tick.
0: Well, you and Mr. Schmidt, the CEO, still, you know, we're on the side of I'm not sure why we made this thing. And obviously it was a commercial success, but it's it's good to see that things can still be made even if certain leaders are skeptical about it. Because I think at other companies, unless everyone is like, you know, completely in agreement that it gets made, nothing ever happens. What is mm-hmm. it that's, that's missing at some of the other companies that don't spend the money on the experiments? Because what I'm hearing time and time again is that. As a team, you discuss a lot of like what ifs. And then you actually spend Mm -hmm. time and energy Mm -hmm. and money exploring Mm -hmm. these what-ifs. Not everything makes it, but some of them do, and and that's what keeps things going. But you you dedicate that time and that money and the energy. What's missing at the watchmakers where maybe not enough of that happens? I think, I think most of the money or
1: a lot of a big part of money we earn, we do not put in marketing, but in development. But um, I think there's one reason that the Swiss don't need that so much, maybe as we do, because Swiss, you know, Swiss-made sells on its own. Uh, made in Germany is not bad, especially for cars, maybe. But we had to get from scratch. You know, line said in the beginning, guys, everyone from the industry in 1990, 1991, before they saw the watches live, was skeptical. They said to Walter Lange and Blumlein, Are you out of your mind? You want to make luxury watches in Glashütte, in former Eastern Germany, where they drive funny <laughs> little cars like Trabants and stand in line with bananas. <laughs> yeah, but it was like that. I know. And they, How can you imagine? These people don't know luxury. Are you sure you want to do that? That was, and Blumlein said to us, Guys, we have to put in 200%. Swiss don't need that. If they want to have an idea they go to the attic in the uh, in the archives and they say ah oh, in the in the 30s of the last century we made an extra thin pocket watch ah oh, maybe we can miniaturize it and make an extra thin wristwatch or, okay oh, but but uh, let's i don't let's, know it's it's way it is less product focused
0: you should not forget that Lange is product is watch and I under I understand You know, I've been there and I understand some of the history. I totally get the slight amount of insecurity when it comes to being able to compete with, you know, sort of the king country of luxury watches. But, you know, Germany is no slouch when it comes to luxury. And I think globally, uh, Germany is better known for luxury than Switzerland, especially with the auto industry. And, you know, Germany makes some amazing things. And also Alanganzona, I believe internally within Germany, was voted at least once or twice as the top, you know, German luxury brand out of all all companies. Yeah, yeah, it's quite an honor if people see us like that. Um, Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's that's impressive. And, you know, from everything, from architecture and automobiles and all types of instruments and things like that, Alang and Zona seem to encapsulate um, something that the country is very, very, very proud of in a way that, you know, no one else is able to do. It's It's kind of nice, but almost humorous to hear that there's still this slight level of self-consciousness. I think the, I think that the consumer wins because German watches tend to offer more bang for the buck, which again is, mm-hmm. is a good thing and everyone's still making money. you know it's I, sometimes I've, I've thought of it as, you know, there's, I hate to say it, less less greed, perhaps a little and that's why consumers really, really like it. Um, but you know as you say this focus on product, it does sound cliche. But as you peel back the layers, it does actually answer a lot of the questions, doesn't it? It is,
1: it, but it is also the way of thinking. It is, it is not. The Odysseus is also a very good example of this. It, it was my toughest project, to be honest, not by its complexity of technically level, technical level. But from the beginning, and I know I saw some notes from Bloomline. He had written down that one day he wanted to make a steel, sporty, elegant watch. Oh. There were no designs, no idea what, but he wrote that down. So the idea is not new. And then we started asking ourselves, and that started around 2008, I think. And what is then? And we had, you know, meetings with collectors, and they say, Tony, I have 12 longer watches. But I don't have the watch, the longer watch, for the most precious time of the year. That is my vacation with my family. When I go sailing or do something like that, then I'm wearing other stuff because you don't make waterproof longs or like watches you can swing with. And that's the point where we started. And then we said, OK, well, but what is the answer? Is the answer a longer one in a steel case with crown protectors and a bit of rigid lugs and Uh, no that would be in our opinion that was a a a rip-off that would be a (laughs) rip-off
0: you mean the lot the longer one offshore yes
1: yes longer one (laughs) offshore or the data graph put in a steel case and and do some stuff with it it's just not not very creative (laughs) no but we did we it was not about we didn't think the background of our thinking was not creativity, but the background of our thinking was more like, that's not honest towards the client who put uh, on the, a lot of money on the table for a platinum case. And later on, you put the stuff in a steel case, you know, that, that's the thing. And Lange Matics was a, was a steel bracelet. We made prototypes and we said, no, this is not going to work. This is just bullocks. And you, it, and then we started thinking, okay, what we're going to do then? The next attempt was, is the answer? And you look at our two colleagues, you know, the the famous colleagues like haute Piguet and Patek with the Royal Oak and Nautilus. Uh, Is that the solution? Make a different shape or bezel or shape case and then you go for it. But then we say, no, this is too much me too. Then we we, we are the copycats of the famous brands. No, that's not us. And then we find then we realized okay, then, then we need to find a new face. And that's one of the most difficult things in at least for for watch industry. Of course, we, is you have
0: to create you have to create a new classic. How hard wow. that's so hard. And and create a new
1: face, but 100 percent longer. And and yeah, I think it was 2012-13 that we came up with the idea of the double thing, you know, the weekday and the date, and then we worked on the case, and then we had another criteria. If you look at famous sport watches, what do they have in common? They are all clumsy and bulky, as if they the watches would like to express, hey, you can do everything which you want. You know, I yeah, they're rigid. like little, little tanks
0: or submarines you can yeah, wear. Yeah, little tanks. But if I
1: would do sporty stuff or, or free spare time, I would like to have a sporty watch, which I hardly feel on the wrist. But it is there. So it must be very smooth. So the bracelet must, must be very smooth. Crown protection? No. No bulky crown protection. We integrate the crown protection in the middle part. So you have a longer tube on your crown, so it is better hold. You don't need these bulky crown protectors. You don't need a bulky bezel. No, and you don't. Was, was, these were the criteria. That was one of the ideas of how we did the integrated pushers.
0: We'll okay, that, that makes sense. No, that's good. That's good because it's I, I, when I saw the design, I remember thinking to myself, there's any number of directions that your team could have gone. I'm mean, like, it could have gone so many different ways. Yeah. Selecting a particular design in, in a sense is almost random, but the philosophy behind it is it needs to look classic, but it also needs to not be outdated. And and, and that's I think what you're saying. A lot of these concepts, you know, you look at like the screw down you know, pushers of a Rolex Daytona. Yeah. Like, it's a visual design element, but we've moved past that. You don't need that for water resistance anymore. Oh. Why Why be so old school? Yeah, and
1: the the fun thing, that's that's the thing, which is today's, you know, everybody can um, write comments and on, 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 on the social media and so on. And I know there was a lot of, also that watch polarized a lot, you know, the Odysseus, the, the bracelet. All good things do. All good yeah. things polarized and,
0: and, on the internet. And,
1: and you read that, and and I know, and I know, and I I I I have it still in the company that of course we did try uh bracelet with, with smaller bracelets, different bracelets, and, and and it was the best. If you would put all the attempts, we don't have them anymore, but if you would have put all the attempts we did <laughs> And finally, the Odysseus in the final stage. So as it is today, everybody would say, "Ah, oh, okay, it makes sense." But most people don't know, of course, because they were not in, you know, they were not involved in the process. But it's funny because it shows also. And it's good to have also some negative feedback. It keeps you awake. That's the, the, the negative stuff that is keep you awake and brings you further, not the positive. If everybody would have said, Oh, this is great and fantastic, nobody would talk about it anymore.
0: And and as a company, you stop trying. If people love whatever you do, you're like, Well, I don't have to try because people like what I'm doing. And it happens, and
1: we should we are not afraid of being mistakes. I know some people say, ah. Sometimes longer could be more courageous. Um, actually, what you know, you see a lot of companies experimenting even with iconic products. I think that's a mistake because well, the client is not only buying a watch, but also buying an identity. He, the client or the collector is identifying himself with that brand. So you should clear, stick to your DNA. But if you push the boundaries, do it gently. It should always be recognizable or what you stand for. Because in fact, it's quite easy to make a nonsense product and we just print long on it and you have a longer. everybody would be out of his mind. We inclusive.
0: <laughs> inclusive. That's, a, that's a great message to end on, uh, thinking about how challenging it is uh, to finalize a, a design. Even if you have the move, the movement is a whole different story, but what what it looks like is a major challenge. Yeah. Um, Tony, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Superlative. I'm very much looking forward to seeing you. Um, yeah, maybe I think it'll be in, in March uh, of, of next year for for the, for the next watches and wonders. Last question, is that going to be what we would call a normal release year? I meaning, are we getting back to a normal number of watches and things like that? I think everybody wants to sort of look forward to a little bit more stability in the world. Yeah. Is, is that going to be when things are going to yeah. start getting back for, for at least for yeah. longay?
1: Yeah, like I always say, the people, the watch collectors would love to have Christmas in March-April again. Okay. Because that, that is the moment where you look forward and you're curious, and what is the surprise and what are the brands proposing, that is the same. Although that today, uh, this year, we did uh, the Watches of Wonders, which was our mo- main focus of our novelties. It will stay like that, always. But you see also that we have uh, some other launches during the, late, the year. And this year, this summer, we did quite a lot. And uh, the year is not over yet, but we definitely full in preparation. The final preparations for what season one is in, in March, April.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been an interview with Mr. Anthony de Haas, the Director of Product Development at Alang & Zona. Thank you one more time.
1: Thank you, Ariel. Stay cool, stay healthy, and I hope to see you very soon
0: in good health. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blogtowatch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit blogtowatch.com.
1: Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe?